Before the service, I uh, was out in the foyer and Mark and I were joking about so many times the pastor's away and the, the crowd is diminished. And uh, it's good to see all of you here. Uh, but I was reminded of the story of a pastor one day showed up to preach and only one farmer showed up for service. And they got up and they sang and they took the offering and the preacher got up to preach and he said, well, he said, farmer, he says, if only one cow shows up to the trough, you still feed him, right? He says, yep. So he preached. 30 minutes later, they sang a closing hymn and they went to leave and the farmer's walking out the door and shakes the pastor's hand and says, farmer, or the pastor, he said, when that one cow shows up to the trough, I don't give him the whole bucket. So I'm glad you're all here because I don't know how to divide this bucket up and and do it in in small portions. Mark had shared in the announcements about uh, the prayer emphasis in May. Uh, The journal that he showed you is actually a journal tied to international missions that uh, Jeff Walsh and his staff put together. Uh, And it's a great journal and encourage you to take a month and go through that. But the actual prayer emphasis is, is this card that's in your bulletin. And on one side of the card are the, uh, the are daily prayers for the ACGC ministries, uh, including our staff and staff all around uh, the United States and around the world. And on the other side are specific prayers uh, dealing with things within the body of Christ. So I encourage you to take that, and each day, uh, wherever you have your prayer, have that, and uh, just take a few moments and pray for us at ACGC and for the ministry of our denomination or churches around the country. When uh, Matt asked me to share, uh, and I'll apologize, he may have said I needed to do the welcome and the initial prayer. I don't remember that. But it's always, it's always important to miss the pastor when he's gone. So when he comes back, say, we really missed you Sunday morning. Uh, your absence was well noted. But um, I, I, I was away last week. Karen and I had the opportunity to travel down and, uh, to Houston and to spend Easter with our grandchildren and our daughter and son-in-law. And Easter takes on a whole different meaning when you have a five-year-old and a nine-year-old in in terms of where the excitement of Easter is in your life. But we did have an opportunity of um, being with their church family and their pastor shared about the disciples and what they felt after the crucifixion and what that was. And, And as I was driving the 18 hours from Houston back to Charlotte, I was thinking about our expectation following Easter. As pastor, uh, I, I always remember the excitement of Easter, you know, getting the cantata ready or the Easter drama, uh, the decorations, the Palm Sunday, uh, recognizing the, the Monday, Thursday service, communion, all those things that really focus so much. But then after Easter, what's the expectation? Uh, how many here read the e-news that comes out on Wednesday morning? If you read the e-news this week, you got a prelim of where my mind was driving back from Houston. It kind of led me to what I want to share with you this morning. As I think about the disciples, as uh, their pastor shared, uh, I think about them in the upper room and all they had gone through. Uh, what was going through their mind leading up to Easter uh, and leading up to the resurrection. All that happened, the capture of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane is over. The brutal treatment of him at the hands of the Roman soldiers is over. The trial that found him guilty is over. The torture and the twisting of his body is over. The cruel fasting of his body 
fastening of his body to the old rugged cross is over. The bleeding wounds from his head, hands, feet, and pierced side is over. The retrieval of his body from the cross by Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus is over. The burial of his body in rushed fashion in the barred grave is over. The search for his body by the women who visit the tomb is over. All that Jesus had gone through in this earthly ministry up to his resurrection, his mission, to redeem man has been completed. Easter has been instituted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the very foundations of the New Testament have been secured. The question now is, what's next? The disciples were in the upper room trembling in fear. They had arrested Jesus and tried him and crucified him. He was dead. And then he was alive. And new hope came in. But what was in their minds the week that followed? Jesus appeared over and over in many different ways. While Matthew, Mark, and Luke all report what we call the post-resurrection events of the Master, John is the most specific and the most detailed in his account of Jesus continuing his earthly ministry for a season after the cross, after the resurrection. Jesus had appeared to all the disciples except for Thomas, and then poor Thomas, forever to be known as Doubting Thomas. But I can understand his thinking. To believe this, I must experience what you have. I must see the nail prints in his hands. I must see the hole in his side. I want to know. You need to know. You need to know that you know that you know that you know you're a child of God with certainty. But this is what Jesus wanted for his disciples, all of who believed. They needed a personal relationship with all the evidence of Scripture and history, personal experience. And so we too must have personal relationship with Christ. Now we see Jesus in this passage this morning Connecting with his disciples post-resurrection, post that week, post-Thomas, seeing the nail prints and the spear pierced, seeing Jesus that morning. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 21. It's a long passage, but it's a, it's a passage that completes a story. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were, able, they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It's the Lord! When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. 
The other disciples came into the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of fish, 153 of them. And although they were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This is said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had also leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So so the saying spread among the brothers that this disciple was not going to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not going to die. But if it was his will that he remain until I come, what's that to you? This is the disciple who's bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every, every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not ta- contain the books that would be written. Let's pray together. Gracious fathers, we come to you. I pray that your spirit might speak to our hearts. Lord, we sit here today, a week after Easter. Last week, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ We had thought about it and prayed about it and reminisced on it for weeks ahead. And yet today, we we sit here in this sanctuary on Sunday morning, also remembering the resurrection of Jesus Christ, celebrating what he did for us. I pray now that you would take the words of your scripture, the words of John, that you might speak to our hearts. Use me as an instrument of your grace. Remove error from my mind that what is spoken today may be the truth of your word. May it touch us and draw us close to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus rose from the dead. He appeared to the disciples in the upper room. He appeared just prior to this to the disciples again, and and Thomas was there. And now this was the third time. 
Imagine what's going through their mind. What has happened? What is happening right now? We see the disciples are gathered together, and all of a sudden, Peter said, let's go fishing. What did Peter mean? There's a lot of speculation theologically about what Peter meant. Some people say Peter said, I give up. Jesus is dead. Our our ministry's over. I'm going back to fishing. I'm going to take up my livelihood again and go fishing. I don't think so. I I don't believe so. I, I think what Peter was saying was, I need to do something. And, and something I'm familiar with, and, and I'm going to go fishing. All joined in together with him. They all said, we'll go with you. And as they went out fishing, they fished all night, which was a, was a common practice. And all night they didn't catch a thing. Now, fishermen don't like that. Okay? Even if you catch fish just a little bigger than bait, at least you caught something. Right? You know, and, and it may grow from the pulling up the anchor to the shore from this to this, but at least you caught something. And these were professional fishermen. They had fished all night long and and didn't catch a thing. And they make their way back to shore, verses 4 to 6 here. As As they got near to shore, it says they saw a fire. And they could make out a form by the fire. And, and from, the, from, the, from the shore was called out, did you catch? The common question, right? Did you catch anything? Now, I've been skunked fishing. And that's the last question I want to have asked of me. And I'm not professional. But these guys had to holler out 100 yards or so offshore. We're skunked. We didn't catch a thing. Jesus says, throw the net on the other side. Now, if you remember, back a few chapters, back three years, there's a deja vu moment here. When Jesus first called the disciples, they were fishing, some of the disciples. And they'd fished all night and they didn't catch anything. Now, I don't know at what point the deja vu... Have anybody ever had a deja vu moment where you think, I've done this before? I don't know where it kicked in for the disciples. But they're there offshore. If they fished all night long, they're, they're in the boat. They see the shore. The question's asked. No, we didn't catch anything. And the voice says, throw the net on the other side. Now, for me, as soon as I read that, all of a sudden, you know, the antennas go up. I've heard this before, Right? Maybe for the disciples they did or didn't, I don't know. But they threw the net over, but as soon as they tried to haul the net in and it was full, John, the disciple that Jesus, that Jesus loved, looked to Peter and said, it's the Lord. What, what was brought back? It was that calling. It was that initial calling. That's Jesus. Only Jesus can tell fish to get into the net. Right? Only Jesus has that power to say, throw it on the other side and it's going to fill up. And Peter, being Peter, grabs his coat, jumps into the water, leaves the rest of the fishermen with the fish full, a net full of fish in the boat and swims to shore because it's Jesus. And as they're hauling their way in, Peter finally, that fisherman instinct pulled in. He went back and helped them pull it in. It's interesting here, and, and this is another side note for, for those of you who like to look at trivia. It says there were 153 fish in the net. Now, it didn't say how many fish were in the net when Jesus called them. The interesting thing to me here is it says, and the net didn't rip. 
Okay, I'm not going to take that rabbit trail, but if you want to talk later, I'll, talk, uh, I'll read some of what I talked, share some of what I learned about that. But, but the reality is, you see John here being very specific in what's happening. And, and as he's writing this, he's remembering those specifics. The net was full, 153 fish in one cast, and it didn't rip. And on the beach, there was Jesus. The fire was lit. And it says that not only was the fire lit, but there was fish on the fire and bread, already prepared. And Jesus says, bring some of your fish, and we'll put them on the fire. And they began to eat. No one asked who, who it was, because they knew it was Jesus. They had seen him twice before, now the third time. Imagine what's going through their minds. They'd been in the upper room with him. Thomas had, had doubted he, he, he was alive, even though the testimony of Peter and, and John and the women and the other disciples. Imagine what's going to their mind. They finished breakfast. What do you think they were feeling? Jesus is alive. Excitement, anticipation. What does it mean? He had told them it was going to happen multiple times. He said, we're on the way to Jerusalem. And I'm going to be offered up. And I'm going to raise on the third day. But they were all surprised. He was dead, but now he's alive. They had been hiding in the upper room in fear. How about how they had behaved before the crucifixion? Peter, James, and John had fallen asleep with Jesus in the garden. Jesus said, pray with me for an hour. And Jesus moved a little ways further. When he came back, they were asleep. Did it again and came back and said, can't you even pray with me for an hour? Imagine what's going through their mind. When the soldiers had come, Peter had reached out and cut off a soldier's ear. And Jesus had healed it. And the disciples had run away. How do you think Peter must have felt? He had denied Jesus. Denied that, that he even knew him after he had boasted so proudly in Luke chapter 22. Even if everyone else deserts you, Jesus, I never will. And later, he denied him three times, even that he knew his name. We see that after breakfast, that Jesus begins to talk to Peter. And I'd always in my mind envisioned you know, maybe Jesus and Peter had worked their way down the beach. And it was just Jesus and Peter. But when you look at the scripture, it doesn't say that. So they were sitting there with the other disciples, and Jesus began to speak to Peter. That means in front of everybody. Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Do you love me more than these? Now, what were the these? Again, some speculate they're, they're fish. You were going back to the living as a fisherman. Do you love me more than fishing? I, I don't think so. I think Jesus is drawing Peter back to that statement. Even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. Jesus is saying to Peter, sitting there with the disciples, Peter, do you love me more than the rest of these like you claimed? Do you love me more than they do? Now, 
Jesus' question, he says, do you love me? He uses the term agape, which is an unconditional love. It's a godly love in God's language. And Peter looked at Jesus and said, Lord, you know I love you. And he uses the term phileo, a brotherly love, a lesser love. And then Jesus said to him again, Lord, Jesus said to Peter, do you love me? And again, he uses the term agape, but he's dropped the comparison. He doesn't say, Peter, do you love me more than these disciples, like you claimed? Now he's just saying, Peter, do you love me? Do you agape love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And then the third time, Jesus looked at Peter and he said, Peter, do you phileo love me? Do you even love me with a brotherly love? Since Peter was grieved that he'd asked him the third time. Now, as we look at this, you know, the grieving is, he asked me three separate times. I think he was grieved because all of a sudden Jesus lowered that love. Do you phileo love me? Peter's response, you've got to know. You know everything. You know I love you. Did Jesus know Peter loved him? Yes, he knew. What was Jesus asking for in this moment? He was wanting Peter to come back to that place. He was wanting Peter to be recommissioned. As he speaks to Thomas in the upper room prior to this, he says, Thomas, put your fingers in the palm of my hands. Put your hand into my side. He wanted Peter to know. Here he wanted, he wanted Thomas to know. Here he wanted Peter to know, to reestablish that love in that powerful way that Peter can. And following each of these questions, Jesus issued the call. Each question is followed by a command. Peter, do you love me more than these? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Shepherd my lambs. Peter, do you phileo love me? Shepherd my sheep. A lot of questions about what these differences are. But I think the reality here is Jesus is reinstating to Peter and to the other apostles the care of the church to shepherd the flock, to build them up in the message of Jesus. What's our personal response? Individually, you must know Jesus. Jesus had heard Thomas's questions. Until I see the nail prints. Until I see the spear evidence in his side, I won't believe. Jesus knew Peter's heart. Jesus knows you and I. He knows every hair that's on our head, numbered. And Jesus speaks to you and I. He wants us to know him. In this, he he gives the commission here. The Great Commission from Matthew 28, and Jesus 
came up and, and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And he gives to us the great commandment in Matthew 22. Teacher, which is the greatest, the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. What does Easter mean to you? We did not experience the week the disciples had. We had not been in the upper room from the burial of Jesus until the resurrection in fear for our lives. We hadn't had the women come bursting into the upper room and say, he's alive or his body is taken. We don't know where. We weren't with Peter and John when they ran and entered the tomb and the proclamation was made. We didn't go through the week after that of thinking he's alive. But you did go through preparation for Easter. Our pastor helped us focus on that meaning. On Good Friday, you had that time where you focused on, on what Jesus went through. Easter Sunday morning, you got up and imagined Easter Sunday morning the first time. Maybe for you, I, I know for me, whenever I've gone to an Easter sunrise service, I always think, not of the first Easter, but of the last Easter, when Jesus comes back. And those graves, if you're at a, we, we did it typically at a graveside, thinking of those graves opening up and the, and the dead in Christ rising first. We experienced all that. My e-news this week was what follows for us. The disciples went out and changed the world. Every one of them, except for John, died by martyrdom in their faith. John was exiled to the island of Patmos. But they told, they preached, they lived, they testified of what they knew. What does Easter mean for you? You can't be, you've you got to be like Thomas. You can't say, I know Jesus lives. Peter told me. John told me. The women told me the tomb was empty. I know Jesus lives because they told me. You can sit here today and say, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ because of Pastor Matt or because of my mother or because of my father or my Sunday school teacher. But you can only testify to who Jesus Christ is because I know him as my personal Savior. The great hymn that says, you ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. Jesus told the disciples, go, tell the world. I think that's the result all us pastors want after Easter. Is the excitement to come out of that Easter service with such excitement of the message that we hold to tell the world. I love acronyms to close the service because you can take a little bit of it with you. 
The acronym today is TELL, T-E-L-L. The T. Testify to what you know. Don't sit there and say, let me tell you what Ron told me about. It's more important to let me tell you what Jesus did for me. How he changed my life. I saw him. I have been revealed who Jesus is and the way I experience him. E, the evidence is in your heart and in your life. It was for the disciples. They went out from there preaching with great authority. The church exploded in Jerusalem and exploded in the world because of their testimony. Their lives were so great in Jerusalem when persecution broke out, it said the authorities were afraid to touch them for fear of the people. The evidence is in your heart and in your life. The first L, live your life to the glory of God. Live your life to the glory of God. I think about the close of that passage there when, when Jesus tells about Peter He says, when you're old, you'll be bound and you'll go where you do not want to go. Talking about his martyrdom. And he looks at John, and what about him? And Jesus says, if he wants to live until I return, it's no difference to you. Jesus is looking at us. And and don't look there and say, well, you know, Pastor Matt, I can't be like Pastor Matt, or I can't be like this. Jesus is saying, what about you? Live your life to the glory of God. And finally, the last L. Love like Jesus loved. Full of grace. The first thing the world needs to know is Jesus. And then they they experience him personally. They know that they know that they know that they know they're a child of God because of Jesus. One week ago, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We gather every Sunday to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Think about every Sunday morning. It's it's a pep rally to go out on Monday and tell the world. Father, as we come together today, over 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ died to purchase my salvation, our salvation. We are allowed to know him personally through the empowering of the Holy Spirit to know that Jesus lives because he lives within us. Father, I pray today that as we leave this place that this message would be so glowing within us, burning within us, there would be the desire to share. That those around us would be able to tell there's something different. And we'll be able to tell it's Jesus. The most powerful news, the most powerful message, the most powerful sacrifice that this world most desperately needs is Jesus. Draw us to you now. Empower us by your grace. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen.